Welcome everyone to the Tori Says Show. I had a few technical difficulties this, um, for this airing and I apologize for that. Now, I want to start off with saying that we are extremely lucky. And I am going to stress this. We are extremely lucky that President Trump was our president when we needed it. Now, we're extremely lucky because Putin, like I said many, many times before, ever since that pipe bombing, has exercised extensive, right, and very strong will to not take that as an act of war. He knew, he knew that the U.S. colluded to blow up the Nord Stream pipeline. And I've been talking about pipelines for a very, very, very long time because they've planned what they wanted for a very, very, very long time. And he knows. So thank God we had a man like him in office to ensure that this was avoided. That is key. That we avoided war for now. Now, I was provided some documentation from somebody where uh, specific generals, and this is, and, and the funny thing is, this was the second um, leaked material that I got, I guess. The military is expecting us to be at war in 2025, right after the 2024 elections. They are preparing troops to be green and ready to go. They have advised them starting March to get on readiness, get to legal, get everything set up, you know, like their direct TV subscriptions, child support, bank loans, you know, just get all your paperwork squared away and be ready. That should tell you everything you need to know. I mean, it just so happens that there's an alleged Chinese balloon and then generals have been sending communications, you know, before uh, or like right around the balloon, right before everybody saw it because people don't look up anymore. But um, I am so grateful for Seymour Hirsch. Seymour Hirsch did the work and wrote it up knowing that truth is the best remedy for lies and confusion. I am very grateful for that. Extremely grateful for that. One thing, though, that I would have said is that, you know, the CIA actually contracted out a State Department to find the frogmen uh, to get everything in position because that gives us the degrees of separations to make sure that the contractors are the right ones. But, you know, ultimately, right, we did it. And we know this. Said it day one, been saying, you know, we're, you know, the audacity 
of talking smack about Putin when you know that he could have went to war. And the thing is, hello, wasn't it Zelensky that clearly lied about a missile being shot by Russia because he wanted, everyone wanted to provoke war? And then they blow up pipelines because they wanted war? It's so incredible to just see all this. And now I want us to look at the, the testifying from Twitter, but I'm not going to go, I'm going to go from, you know, certain clips because they're live now. They came back from break, but I, I was going to talk about Zelensky. I'll, I'll put that on the table for tomorrow. Um, and about Turkey right now, I did write that article. Uh, you know, all of them are making a ton of money right now in Turkey. And God knows what is happening to all the stranded children, the refugees. My gosh, my heart is bleeding. And you know, the thing is, Erdogan can't do shit. At this point, that man can't do anything because his economy was in the toilet, right? Economy in the toilet. A bunch of refugees and, you know, the earthquake so conveniently at, at a location, right? And I already told you we have stomp technology. Anyone saying we don't have stomp technology has no idea the technology our governments have. And so, you know, the Turkish government and the Turkish people have been, has started tweeting about it because they found evidence or, you know, they surmised this. I mean, it's like we expected. So I didn't think that they were going to use stomp technology. That was off script. But the location was enough to cause turmoil to Russia's naval base, uh, to the Russian conflict, um, uh, to Turkey, you know, and it comes on the heels of Turkey saying, I'm leaving NATO. Mm. Right. The EU is so desperate to hold on to Ukraine and you have to ask yourself why Ukraine? What's so important? Because secrets, blind spots, blind spots. Now, um, I urge you all to read my articles. You all know I post on Substack. I do have a couple of subscribers there. I have a couple at Subscribestar, a couple at Locals. You know, you, you know, I make all my content free. People decide if they want to subscribe or not and support my work, right? Um, so just so you know, if you're one of those free subscribers, I usually do post it on my site because I know that we are in financial hard times and not everyone can, you know, support my work. I get it. But information should be put out there regardless. And, and that's what's important. Now, right now we're having a Twitter hearing and you know what dawned on me? This would all go away if the truth came out. And the truth means, you know, who these people are. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share my screen for a second. Okay. Mm, let's see. Is it sharing? Do you guys see this account from 2007? Do you see it? This is supposedly, well, not supposedly. I know it is. Um, this is Allison's original Twitter account. This is during the planning phase that the DIA had to create the Manning experiment. 
I was I was coming stateside, and it was in um, when I was being debriefed overseas. Um, I was offered to go to California, and you know, obviously because my father and brother had uh, both passed away, um, I kind of used that as an excuse to focus on what I had planned to do, which was get into these medical laboratories and go back to school because I would use the skills that I was given to get myself cover to figure out how they were going to deploy what they were going to deploy. And this is my thing. You don't, you don't have to believe it. I really don't care, right? No one at the age of 30 with a strong career that could have done anything she wanted um, would have done a 180 and just drop herself and finish a degree within two years, right? To just be able to infiltrate laboratories and speak to the right people that were investigating HIV um, and uh, methods that, you know, uh, viruses can uh, be manifested, gain a function, um, altering genetic codes. Nobody does that at that age, right? Nobody just does that. But anyway, I, I digress. Let's stay on topic because I get, I get irritated sometimes. <laughs> anyway, so this is Invisible Girl. She um, also goes by the name Del Harvey, um, who was the head of Twitter's safety program. Now, nobody at Twitter knows her real name, Allison. And... Um, Nobody knows her education. Nobody knows anything. They just know that she came in with the sock puppet Manning experiment where the DIA had deployed a program to install sock puppets using Twitter. This was well-planned. Look, look when she started her account. Pay attention. Who is this person? We'll talk about her. Well, you know, let me show you a video of her so you can get a feel of this fake lesbian or kind of, I mean, usually, oh. <laughs> ah, keep this to myself. I want to see someone. She looks so familiar, doesn't she? Um, but let me share that with you. Hold on. It's almost like all of us look the same. <laughs> There's another conspiracy theory. I had my hair like that around that time too. So weird. All right, let's go to, where is it? There we go. So this person that nobody knows, um, you know, education, real name, everyone just calls him Dal Harvey, <laughs> which is, then you, you know, you think, well, Jim Jordan, your intelligence, all of you are supposedly, you have access to this. Why aren't you asking? What's Dal Harvey's real name? Who put her at Twitter in 2008? to police bots. Bots, by the way, that didn't exist at that time. <laughs> it's the ones that we created in order to skew public opinion in regards to the uh, Bradley slash Chelsea Manning issues. Here's a clip of her uh, talking about cybersecurity. This is from 2017, you know, when she was riding high. I'm Del Harvey. I am the VP of Trust and Safety at Twitter, which sounds either vaguely Orwellian or at least gently reassuring. And my job is to ensure user trust, protect user rights, and keep users safe, both from each other and at times from themselves. 
And I do all of that with a healthy dose of visualizing catastrophe. I'm also the executive sponsor of Twitter Open, which is Twitter's... It's like you guys know what it is already. It's Twitter's ERG, Employee Resource Group, for the LGBTQA tweets, as we like to call them, at Twitter. Some of us like to call them tweets, not maybe everyone. All of that is to say, I think it's safe to say I fall relatively squarely into the category of lesbians who tech. So, well, perhaps lesbian who techs in the singular form, but I am delighted to be here today to talk to you about cybersecurity. So, what is cybersecurity anyway? Well, Google says it's this. There you go, saved you like 30 seconds. And the thing is, is there's actually a lot of different things that cybersecurity can refer to. It can be privacy, it can be confidentiality, it can be corporate security or data security or whether or not your social media account has been hacked by somebody. It can refer to all of those things. And because it can refer to all of those things, as framed by this extremely bastardized quote from Supreme Court Justice Potter Stewart's concurrence in Jacob Ellis versus Ohio, which perhaps for some of you who are big Supreme Court fans, you might recognize the, yeah, there's like two. Uh, you might recognize the opinion, those of you who do not, it is where the famous colloquialism, I know it when I see it, came from. Fun fact, that's all you'll learn in this entire talk, but there you go. Got it in the first two and a half minutes. So, great. Cybersecurity, all of these things more. I'm going to tell you my absolute... I'm going to tell you that... You <laughs> just, a, just a wild question. So if you're a man that wants to identify as a woman, and then you go and sleep with women, does that make you hetero or gay? Real question. I'll see, you know, on my social media what the answer is, where you, wherever I'm allowed to be, I know I'm allowed on Truth and on Telegram because it's my channel, right? But that's a real question. So if you're a dude and you identify as a chick and then you're having sex with women, you know, are you hetero or are you lesbian? I mean, if you identify as a woman, I guess you would be lesbian, right? Um, I'm just, you know, just, just a question. But anyway, going to that. Um, oh, I really wish Elon Musk would just give Matt the damn DIA files, you know, declassify that shit, show that they were using, you know, um, sock puppets early on. That's important. And, and what sucks is, is that we have a lot of generals and, you know, and, and admirals and officials that know that. And the question is, why aren't they talking about it? I mean, you know, it's not like um, it's classified. It was talked about in the media by the DIA. So why not put it out there? The C-SPAN networks bring you... Hold on. Because right now, everything we're seeing reminds me of this. This is this is how I see it, and someone can say whatever, but this is what I see. Freaking clown show. That's what I see. Long-form public affairs programming from the nation's capital and a public service of your television provider. C-SPAN, created by cable.
Let's go to this Joy. <laughs> no, go to Joy in Raleigh, North Carolina. Good morning. Hey, Good somebody from down south. Well, you're right. I'm from down south. Oh, God, it's mom. And I'm your mother. And I, di I disagree that all families are like ours. I don't know many families that are fighting at Thanksgiving. Is this, is this really and your mother? No, it is my mom. I was very glad that this Thanksgiving was a year that you two were supposed to go to your in-laws. And, and I'm hoping you'll have some of this out of your system when you come here for Christmas. Yeah, we were really not together like, this Thanksgiving. We are most years. I would years. really like a peaceful about. Christmas, and I love you both. <laughs> hey, now, now let me jump in because this was not planned. She called mm -hmm. in on the normal line. So, uh, but since you did call in, Mrs. Woodhouse, <laughs> what's it like to raise these two boys? Well, it hadn't been easy. <laughs> <laughs> no true words. No true words have ever been said. Oh God. Well, we love and, you, Mom. Um, and I love and I love politics. I've, uh, their dad and I both love politics. We follow the entire country. I know that we have to take responsibility for them. And they're both um, very passionate about what they believe in, and um, and I love that about them. But I um, I hope that um, they just kind of get this out of their system today on your program. By the way, I know that that is wishful things. Are you a Democrat or Republican, Mrs. Woodhouse? Well, I am. I am a registered Democrat. That's um, many many years ago. But I have, you know, at times split my ticket. But um, you know, I'm more concerned. I am concerned for the party who's going to expand Medicaid. I have an autistic grandson who's going to expand health care. So um, uh, those are, I guess, I am more of a one-issue person right now in my life because I have uh, such concern for my autistic grandson. Joy, thank you for the call. And again, this was not planned, but um, we're glad to hear from you. See, you know, uh, that's 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 what I'm seeing, right? Just this is what I'm seeing on C-SPAN. I, I, it's like I want to wring the necks of the people asking questions through the Internet. It's like, my gosh, why aren't they asking the right question? These are so softball. These are all available. Why, 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 why? Can't we speak the truth? Why is it that we can't speak the truth? It's the most insane thing. You know, you know, we should also get Jason Goldman's emails from Twitter. He was the one that facilitated the DIA to go there. He's one of the co-founders, right? That's the thing. She has been, oh, invisible girl. Chan boards, man. There's so much I want to say, and 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 be like, not this ain't. No, I'm not going to jail because you're thirsty for information, right? There are people out there that have the capabilities of unmasking correctly and putting out the information correctly, so that the people have the truth. We are at this point that optics play no role. Right. If you were to tell people that Twitter was taken on by the agencies at its infancy stages, might I say, injected a ton of money. Jeep girl is whims. OK. Anyway, with a ton of money. OK. 
to make it the way they want to, right? People would be angry. People would be very angry. You know, Elon talks about this obscure agency. I've been talking about Voice of America, USGAM, and all of these, but these obscure other agencies you get are just part of projects. There are so many, so vast. That's where all the dark money goes. And, you know, we have so many people that have worked within the DIA, the DOD, right? And they're not telling the people what is there and to give the actual truth. I believe we're past the optics. I believe that the people are ready for it and to say, holy crap, we can't have this happen again. It's incredible. It is incredible to see. And this is why I'm mostly frustrated, right? And, you know, obviously I'll get people that troll, right? But they could just go disappear. I am one of the biggest thorns in their ass that they have. You know, the investigation that the attorney general in North Dakota started on me was a blessing in disguise was a blessing in disguise because they started something official illegally. And at that point, they're screwed. They are just hoping I trip up in some way to just make it happen. I'm, I'm definitely under watch, right? I have a ton of feds that are sitting in my Telegram accounts. I even made a couple of them, you know, um, admins. Obviously got rid of them when I saw that, you know, there were some concerns for me in respects to props, proximity actions. How's that? But again, the land of confusion you know, that I kept playing was purposeful because this is how they went by obfuscating and making it seem like they're giving you information when they're not, you know, um, it makes me sad just watching all of these hearings because I realize we're still doing the same thing. Uh, one thing that I can say is, you know, the people broke the GAO website where it had to go into maintenance, right? You did that to the FBI FOIA thing because it even says on their site that they have 20 days to respond. That means they have another 17 days now. And that's pretty interesting because you're probably going to get the information faster out there than your intelligence community committee or your gang of eight that are going to sit there and kind of talk about it, right? And this is why it's important that, that once you file your FOIA, you mail it to the gang of eight. And you can write them a little note like, listen, bitches, this is what I want right now. You guys can play footsie under the table and drag it out with hearings so you can get campaign funds and people texting you how they're going to support you later, right? You could do all that, right? But this is what we want now. And um, I saw that someone 
signed, sealed, and deliver certified uh, to McCarthy, which I was like, damn, that was a smart idea. I'm actually going to print mine off this afternoon and get it ready like that too. Um, obviously, for all of them, I've only sent off two, and that's because I'm writing them personal notes with specific information pertaining to them. So um, I think all of us uh, should be communicating with these people and telling them, listen, I don't want to sit here and have hearings and send subpoenas and let's have a pony show. You know, you didn't get an HBO contract, right? Pelosi did <laughs> for Jay Six. <laughs> I'm going to stop. But we don't need a pony show anymore. We need action. And this is where we're at. We need action. Now, before we get to that, I, I just need to refresh my cup of coffee and remind you while we do that with a two-minute musical interlude, just how lucky we are that there was no war because President Trump is a president that wanted no wars and he wanted them to end. And we are extremely lucky that we were able to get this done. So take a listen while I fill up my coffee cup. Mama just killed a man Put a gun against his head Pulled my trigger, now he's dead Goodbye, everybody I've got to go Gotta leave you all behind and face the So back to our regular programming. <laughs> Let's see this Bohemian Rhapsody. Let's start. Let's start this. Let's see. Anyway, there we go. Inside Twitter and numerous about numerous accelerating warning signs that she saw leading up to the violent and catastrophic attack on the Capitol on January 6, 2021. Ms. Navarro is here today to publicly testify about how senior officials at Twitter resisted her efforts to put policies in place or to enforce existing policies to promote public safety and to defend our national security. Twitter management, however, did not want to cross Donald Trump. I don't know precisely how we will solve the problem of private social media platforms being used for the organization of coups and incitement of violent insurrections against the United States or Brazil or any other country. But this is a grave problem confronting democracy, not just in America, but all over the world. It is not a silly, concocted, partisan issue. We must analyze it carefully and legislate effectively to address it. And we must never forget that the enemies of democracy, led by autocrat and war criminal Vladimir Putin, are spending hundreds of millions of dollars on social media propaganda and disinformation to destabilize democracy all over the world, even as they wage their genocidal, illegal, aggressive war against the people of Ukraine. How are we going to prevent the liberal democracies from being overrun by propaganda, disinformation, and violent incitement? Well, listen to Anika Kalyar-Navaroli, because she has something important to say. She poses a problem that would be worthy of a serious congressional hearing, and we should have one. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I yield back. 
Gentleman yields back. I want to thank again the witnesses for appearing here today. Today's witnesses are former Twitter employees. Uh, Vijaya Gaddy, Twitter's former general counsel. James Baker, Twitter's former deputy general counsel. Yoel Roth, Twitter's former head of trust and safety. And Annika Collier-Navarali, a former member of Twitter's U.S. safety policy team. I want to remind everyone you all are appearing under subpoena by your own request. Pursuant to committee rule 9G, the witnesses will please, will please stand and raise the right hands. Do you, sol do you solemnly swear or affirm that the testimony you are about to give is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? Uh, let the record show that the witnesses all answered in the affirmative. We will begin the five-minute question portion of our hearing today. The chair recognizes... Apologize. Ready to get to the questions. Uh, we'll, we'll start with the opening statements, then we'll go to the questions. So uh, each witness will, will get uh, five-minute opening statements, and uh, we'll begin with you, Mr. Becker. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Mr. Chairman, uh, Ranking Member Raskin and members of the committee, thank you for the opportunity to appear before you today. I hope that we will have a useful uh, conversation about matters that are of great importance to the nation and the world. My main goals for this statement are simply to attempt to set the record straight with respect to certain false assertions that have been made about me in public, uh, in the public arena, and to offer a suggestion with respect to potential legislation in the area of social media regulation. As the committee is aware, however, based on the advice of counsel, I believe in good faith that I'm constrained today by my legal and ethical obligations as a former lawyer for Twitter, as well as by certain non-disclosure agreements. Within those constraints, however, I will endeavor uh, to respond to the committee's questions as fully as I possibly can. And I believe I can make the following statements. First, I was not aware of and certainly did not engage in any conspiracy or other effort to do anything unethical, improper, or unlawful while, while I was at Twitter, period. I did not act unlawfully or otherwise inappropriately in any manner with respect to Hunter Biden's laptop. Indeed, Documents that Twitter has disclosed publicly reflect that I urged caution with respect to the matter and noted that we needed more information to fully assess what was going on and to decide what to do. Hardly a surprising piece of advice from a corporate lawyer. Moreover, I am aware of no unlawful collusion with or direction from any government agency or political campaign on how Twitter should have handled the Hunter Biden laptop situation. Even though many disagree with how Twitter handled the Hunter Biden matter, I believe that the public record reveals that my client acted in a manner that was fully consistent with the First Amendment. I think that the best reading of the law is that as a private entity, the First Amendment protects Twitter and its content moderation decisions. And I do not believe that the facts in the public record indicate that Twitter became a state actor as that concept is defined under existing precedent such that the First Amendment would have constrained it. Second, I believe that at all times I executed my duties and responsibilities to my client, Twitter, lawfully and ethically. At no time was I an agent or operative of the government or any political actor when I worked at Twitter. To the contrary, I believe that I worked zealously and dil diligently within the bounds of the law in pursuit of my client's best interests. Gosh, stop. Third, okay, I, I need to fast forward I did not destroy or improperly suppress any with respect to their engagement with the private sector. With the private sector. Congress may be able to... You know what? You know what? I want to say something. I want to say something. 
So I'm going to be super, super salty right now. <clears throat> Couple days, few days, few days after the elections, I had a conversation in a room full of important people. And I was actually at the Trump. And I remember I actually said this to Mike Tremarco. There were, I, I saw that midge in the city, whatever chick and everyone was bidding on money like give me money bernie carrick and i'll solve this problem right and there were a bunch of people i don't recall every single person but there were very important people there and, and i don't want to call them out right now right now but i stood there and i i remember gavin <laughs> to my side knocking me right and i was like this is this is effing stupid we have people bidding contracts millions of dollars when you have greg browser as counsel for dominion whatever you do you will fail and they looked at me like who's this like do you know who i am that's when midge in the city was like yo i'm like important <laughs> fox city midge whatever her fog city who fuck knows and it's like she looked like she was important and they were like sequestering you can't see this person you can't see and it's like but you don't even know who i am and i said let me tell you something anything you do whatever audits you want to do whatever ballot chasing you're going to do you're going to fail because this is an operation and you know this when you have Mueller's right hand dude representing freaking dominion they have an operation in place and anything you do they've already freaking got someone in your midst that's doing it they got everything so it's the most insane thing, the most insane thing I have ever seen. Wait, did you guys hear that? Or was it off? You did. Okay, someone said Gavin. So I know there's a delay in the streaming. So I'm going to tell you, Jim Baker being there was not happenstance. I was reporting how we had people over at Charles Schwab where they were monitoring the money and the laundering. We had people at Twitter from Mueller's teams. We had them uh, sizing up and being attorneys for Dominion. Like, why is it so hard? Why is it so hard? For people to understand that they this was a nationwide, right, overt covert operation by our agencies. And I'm not just going to say FBI, right? Because, you know, I, I was actually thinking about it. I, I don't remember I, was I, who I was saying it to. Was it today or, or yesterday? I feel really bad and sad for the people that work for the FBI, the CIA, the DIA, the DOD, because they never signed up for this. The only people that are okay with this are the people that um, agree with the Praetorian mentality. And so it blows my mind. You know, when I saw, there was a video, I kid you not, that I saw 
a freaking Tracy Beans saying that Julian Assange was like cicada or calling him a conspiracy or some bullshit. And I'm like, you know, there was an op um, on top of an op on top of an op on top of an op. And what people don't seem to understand that the people that actually did this whole J6 shit and all this other stuff that happened for four years while President Trump was in office was a counter operation against a sitting president of the United States by people that were close to him. The people that were close to him. And now they're circling the wagons knowing that he will be the next president. He will win, right? And they want a piece of the pie. And I'm going to say this now. I will make sure you are nowhere near him. Ask Roger Stone how he feels about me, you know, because I know there's a lot of people that were like, damn, when she was vulnerable, we should have embraced her. And they're right. They might have been able to tame me when I needed the most help. But just like you guys think you're smart and in the know and that your loyal friends are loyal, loyalty is not bought with fear. Loyalty is through action. And I'm going to tell you this right now, the people surrounding you guys are not that loyal. You'll see. And it's all going to be coming out. 2023 is going to be lit, very lit. Now, let's unravel some of these softball questions while we skip over Jim Baker because he makes my skin crawl. And let's talk to this woman who, you know, Vijay Day, who sponsors Joe Rogan, right? They sponsored, they used to sponsor Joe Rogan, would go on there and just lie. Lie, 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 and, you know, it's fine. Well, October of 2022. During my time at Twitter, I had many distinct teams reporting to me, including legal, trust and safety, public policy, corporate security, and compliance. I was drawn to work at Twitter because it, I was inspired by how people were using, able to use the platform and awed by its potential. Twitter enabled anyone to hear directly from any individual instantly. People from around the world were coming together on Twitter for an open and free exchange of ideas. The work was challenging and fulfilling. After Jack Dorsey returned as CEO in 2015, one of his top priorities became what we called the health of the public conversation. This was based on customer research, advertiser feedback, Twitter's declining revenue, user growth, and stock price. Teams across Twitter were focused on making the platform safer, better, and more profitable. As an executive of the company, I also was responsible for helping to achieve the corporate goals set by Mr. Dorsey and I was accountable to him, the board of directors, and ultimately Twitter's public stockholders. As we prioritized the health of the public conversation, we did not lose sight of what Twitter was for most people, a place to talk about their favorite things. Topics that animated the platform range from K-pop to the World Cup to video games and movies. We needed to ensure that differences of opinion would not cross the line, for example, into sending death threats to soccer players who missed important goals, distributing non-consensual intimate photos, or cyberbullying so vicious that it could compromise a teenager's mental health. Twitter's platform rules covered a wide range of conduct and changed over time based on new behaviors and harms on the platform and feedback from customers, regulators, governments, advertisers, researchers, and others. This feedback led to a principles-based approach, which we applied to an array of difficult yet equally complicated situations around the world. These rules were also benchmarked against industry standards. We all knew how difficult it would be to design, much less apply, one set of global rules for hundreds of millions of accounts that shared billions of tweets a week. 
While I was at Twitter, the company never lost sight of its deep commitment to promoting and defending free expression around the world. For example, to protect human rights defenders, we fought for the right of people to use pseudonyms on the platform. We litigated in courts around the world to protect the rights of people to express their opinions, often defending them against their own governments who are acting unlawfully or violating international human rights. And we took extra precautions to ensure we scrutinized or challenged and never just acquiesced to government legal demands. Defending free expression and maintaining the health of the platform required difficult judgment calls. Most applications of Twitter's rules were fact-intensive, subject to internal debate, and needed to be made very quickly. We recognized that after applying our rules, we might learn that some of them did not work as we imagined and that we would need to update them. We always remained open to new information from our customers and critics regarding our policies and enforcement. At times, we also reversed course. For example, on October 14th, Let's just stop right now. So obviously, I don't want to listen to the rest of her spiel. It's a nicely scripted and written by legal. Um, and we're not going to look at that soy boy. We're going to delve into the questions after they're done telling people how awesome they are. Now, uh, just so you know, um, all the power went out and communications, apparently, uh, for some people that are sitting on this hearing. Um as they were speaking, <laughs> it'll be funny. Did anyone get my communications? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. That would be so much fun. Did we get the DIACA outed? Oh my gosh. Then we, then we get, get into, into uh, a whole series of things uh, written by Mr. Baker going back and forth. And he says on that same day, now at 926, which is about a half an hour after the your your uh, statement that you don't think that anything's been violated here. He says, I've seen some reliable cybersecurity folks question the authenticity of the emails in another way. And then you seem to uh, later, but by the way, that's almost inconceivable. I mean, it just seems inconceivable um, that that would have happened so quickly that he would, he would have that. And then you sent out something uh, right after that that said, the key factor in forming our approach is consensus from experts monitoring election security and disinformation that this looks a lot like a hack and leak that learned, uh, that learned from the 2016 WikiLeaks approach. I'm wondering if you can name for me today any of the experts that seem to have a consensus at 10, 12 a.m. on the morning of October 14th that you put out saying that we're going to rely on some, uh, some group of experts. Who were they? Thank you for the question. Twitter did not give me access to any of my documents or emails to prepare for this hearing. And so unfortunately, I can't give you a direct answer. Were there, Mr. Roth, were, were there experts? Were there, were there people that you consulted that were cybersecurity experts between uh, 9 a.m. and 10.15 a.m. on that day? My recollection is that we were following discussions about this incident as they unfolded on Twitter. So cybersecurity experts were tweeting about this incident and sharing their perspectives. And that informed some of Twitter's judgment here. But I want to emphasize, as I said in my statement, I didn't think that the evidence or those perspectives warranted removal. And I advocated against taking that action. I, I understand. Let's, let's look at one other, one other document. Um, our teams made the determination that the materials fall under our hacked materials policy. It's my understanding from reports and internal sources that normally a hacked material policy would require 
a government official or law enforcement determination that there had actually been a hacked uh, account before that hacked policy were to be in place or imposed. Is that accurate? No, sir, it's not. The so, oh. so the policy was, did not require that there be any kind of official finding by, the government, by a government source? No, there were a number of different types of evidence that we considered under the policy. Certainly, government attribution would be a powerful one, but we also you, looked so at you weren't looking. That wasn't determinative, is what we're saying. In that instance, we did not have any specific information from okay. any government source, no. I'm going to read something that um, applies to this and several other things. From, from, your, from the, uh, the Twitter stack uh, that you guys had. This might be an unpopular opinion, but one-off one ad hoc decisions like this that don't appear rooted in policy are, in my humble opinion, a slippery slope and reflect an alternatively equal, equally dictatorial problem. Quite frankly, that's what the essence of all four of your testimony, you, I, I realize you're trying to fight against it, but you exercised. You exercised an amazing amount of clout and power over the entire American electorate by even holding them hostage for 24 hours, reversing your policy, and then, holding, and then they're like, well, we, we want to go back with the originals. That's 24 hours or two weeks that you imposed your will on the American electorate. I'll yield back, Mr. Chairman. Gentlemen, time's expired. He went 30 seconds over. I'll give the ranking member an extra 30 seconds. You're very fair-minded, Mr. Chairman. Um, Mr. Roth, let me start with you. Did I hear you correctly to say that there were thousands or even hundreds of thousands of counterfeit Twitter accounts set up by Russian propaganda and disinformation for Vladimir Putin to pump his poison into the bloodstream of American social media? Is that right? That's right, sir. And that's not just past tense. Those accounts are active on social media today. This is an ongoing campaign. Well, we should be having a hearing about that. I appreciate your alerting to us uh, what's taken place. Ms. Navaroli, so you've testified that in the months leading up to the November 2020 election and then in the weeks before January 6th, you were growing increasingly anxious about the violent rhetoric and incitement that you saw posted on Twitter. Can you describe specifically what made you so concerned during that period? And did you raise your concerns with people at Twitter? Thank you for that question. As I said in my opening statement, after former President Trump in his debate said the statement, uh, stand back, stand by to the Proud Boys, my team in discussion with other teams at Twitter realized that we had a gap in our policies and that that could not be said on the platform because it would have gone too far. What we did see continue to happen was those, those statements in addition to other coded incitement to violence or dog whistles began to spring up on the platform. And so what was once fringe ideology or fringe statements that were calling for the overthrow of the government became a loud roar. And so we heard individuals beginning to say that they were locked and loaded, that they were ready for civil war part two, that they were ready for another revolution, that they were ready for the day of the rope in very clear English on Twitter. And, and on the January 6th committee, we have tens of thousands of statements like that being made on Twitter and other parts of social media. So we got a, a little taste of what you were experiencing on a daily basis. Now, there was this meeting on January 5th at Twitter. I don't think it was called specifically to look at what was, what was going to happen the next day. That just happened to be a regular meeting. But at that meeting, you and other employees raised urgently the problem of what you saw coming on January 6th. How did Twitter management respond to the concerns that you raised? 
That's a great question. And yes, that meeting was a regularly scheduled meeting. Within the meeting, I believe I referred to it in my testimony to the January 6th committee as I was at my wit's end. I had argued, I had asked questions, I had asked for clarification. We had found dangerous tweets within the meeting, and yet the individual who is the most senior uh, leader within the team in that meeting told us that we were not allowed to take that content down and that we were not allowed to use the coded incitement to violence policy. The reason that she gave us mirrored what we had been told by the former head of trust and safety, Del Harvey, that individuals might be saying things like locked and loaded or stand back and stand by in ways of self-protection. That was not what we were seeing on the platform. So when you were seeing things like locked and loaded and Civil War Part Two and race war and so on, were you warning your superiors at Twitter that you thought there was going to be real violence, that it was, this was not hyperbole that was being spoken at that point? Absolutely. I specifically told Del Harvey herself that someone was going to get shot, as I testified to, my, my, uh, to the January 6th committee. Um, you stated that uh, Donald Trump described his own tweets as little missiles. What, why did that uh, stick in your mind? Yes, I, the, the quote that you're referring to, I'm, I don't remember exactly what news article that it was in, but it was a news article that I had read in which the former president said that he liked to send out his tweets like little missiles. To me, that sounded exactly like weaponization of a platform in his own words, and yet Twitter was not concerned. All right, well, um, again, this bears uh, an, a complete hearing on its own. This is a real issue, unlike something that happened a couple of years ago for 24 hours that uh, has already disappeared in the sands of time. But this is facing us today. As you say, those right-wing violent forces are still out there, and the social media can still be used as a channel for incitement to violent action against state legislatures, school boards, the Capitol of the United States, Congress, and so on. How do we prevent this from happening in the future? And do you think that Twitter is dealing with this problem effectively now? As I said in my opening statement, we have to do something. There is too much at stake for us to continue to do nothing. And this question of how do we prevent it is a big one. Unfortunately, I do not believe that we are at a place that we can come to solutions because we do not know how these companies work. We must continue to hear from individuals like myself we must have a seat at the table to be able to share our experiences because our experiences and the ways that we have succeeded, the ways that we have failed, hold the key to our futures and the key to our democracies. All right. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I would just say I, I was skeptical about revisiting the bias towards anyone who opposed their points of view. For example, Mr. Roth, did you write this tweet? I regret the language that I used in some of my former tweets, but yes, I did post that. And I'll read the tweet so, so it's, it's in, in the record. record. Yes, that person in the pink hat is clearly a bigger threat to your brand of feminism than actual Nazis in the White House. Says the soy boy. Do you think all conservatives are Nazis? Certainly not, sir. What about the hundreds of people who worked in the Trump administration? Certainly not. Did Ms. Gaddy or any other lawyer at Twitter ever tell you to take down that tweet? No, Twitter did not have a practice of restricting employees sharing their personal viewpoints on the service. Okay. Turning back to the laptop, Ms. Gaddy, are you aware that Hunter Biden's lawyers as recently as last week wrote the Department of Justice about Hunter Biden's laptop? 
I've seen some articles about that. Yes, they did. And it appears that Hunter Biden's attorney is admitting that the laptop and emails on it are authentic. So, Ms. Gaddy, on October 14, 2020, did Hunter Biden report to Twitter that he was the victim of a hack? Let's stop for a second. You know what I'm thinking? Why do we have Ms. Gaddy and Soy Boy, uh, you know, yo here? Why do we have them there? Why don't they have the infamous Del Harvey there? Why didn't they subpoena her? Why? Because she's freaking a fed, right? She worked for the DIA and another obscure agency handing out temporary clearances to people. People pay attention. These people are doing half-assed work either purposefully or they have been guided by, <laughs> I'm going to go with my first, but anyway, let's keep going. This is all a freaking show anyway. No, I don't believe he did. Ms. Gaddy, when the New York Post initially broke the story about the laptop, did you call Hunter Biden's lawyer to ask if it was authentic? No, I did not. Isn't it correct that the Biden campaign had contact with Twitter in the run-up to the 2020 election? Not to my knowledge. And you're telling this committee that, that you didn't ask any Biden representative if the laptop was real or for Hunter Biden's attorney's phone number to confirm its authenticity? We did not speak to anybody related to that. Mr. Baker, are you aware that the FBI had Hunter Biden's laptop since December of 2019? I'm sorry, am I aware of that now? I, well, were you aware then? At the, then, no, I don't believe, sir, that uh, to the best of my recollection, I don't think I did. But you're aware now. I've heard that now, yes. Mr. Baker, did you call any of your contacts at the FBI to ask whether or not they knew if the material had been hacked? I don't recall contacting them about that on that day. Mr. Roth, Ms. Gaddy, and Mr. Baker, it appears to me that you, you failed at your jobs. You were entrusted with the highest level of power at Twitter, but when you were faced with the New York Post story, instead of allowing people to judge the information for themselves, you rushed to find a reason why the American people shouldn't see it. In a matter of hours, you were deciding on the truth of a story that spans years and dozens of complex international transactions. You did this because you were terrified of Joe Biden not winning the election in, in 2020. That's what it appeared. I can assure you this committee will succeed in holding the Bidens accountable. So much of the evidence of wrongdoing from this family is located in that hard drive that you all led the American people to believe was Russian disinformation, when in fact it was not. Now, I agree with Mr. Baker's opening statement. The, the, the concern for me is the level of involvement the FBI had with not just Twitter, but all of our social media platform companies. And I think it kind of goes in the opposite direction of where my, my friend, the ranking member, was, was trying to take this in his opening statement. This is something this committee should be concerned about. The government doesn't have any role in suppressing speech. And that's something the media should be very concerned about. What if there's a conservative president that somehow cleans out our FBI and they put in conservatives to suppress liberal speech? We don't, that's something that, that should never happen. So I look forward to more questions. And at this time, I, I yield. 
we'll, uh, yield to the gentleman from uh, thank, the, thank, wow. thank the chair for yielding. Mr. Baker, you said you didn't talk with the FBI that day. Did you talk to the FBI about the Hunter Biden laptop story prior to then or after that day? I, um, I'm trying to make sure I can answer this question consistent with the restrictions that I talked about in my opening. Simple question. Did you yeah. talk to the FBI about the Hunter Biden story? I do. To the best of my recollection, I did not talk to the FBI about the Hunter Biden story uh, before that day. Talk to him after it. You said you you're, don't recall. Is real. Your response is real. So he knows for a fact that he didn't speak of it before that day, but he doesn't recall if he ever had a conversation after that day. Okay. Legit. Real specific to the chairman. You said, I did not talk to the FBI about the Hunter Biden laptop story that day. I assume that day is October 14th. I want to know if you talked to him on the 13th or before, or if you talked to him on the 15th and after. I don't recall speaking to the FBI sitting here today. I don't recall speaking to the FBI at all about the Hunter Biden matter. Well, then why'd you, answer, why'd you answer it the way you did? I beg your pardon? Uh, I yield back to Chair recognizes Ms. Norton for five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, like Benghazi before, Republicans are on a taxpayer-funded... Oh, my gosh. Okay, we're skipping over this relic. ...against me. Hold on. Um, you are no stranger to conspiracies and their real-world consequences. If you don't mind, can you please describe for the committee how the release of the so-called Twitter files has affected your personal safety? Thank you for the question, Congresswoman. The Twitter files, I would note first and foremost, didn't just affect me, but affected much more junior employees at Twitter. Employees as far away as Manila in the Philippines were doxxed, had their families threatened, and experienced harm equal to or, or greater than what I've experienced. But concurrent with the Twitter files, Elon Musk also made the decision to share a defamatory allegation that I support or condone pedophilia. And this lie led directly to a wave of hope. Well, I have to differ with that because the minute I outed all the pedophilia with screenshots in my article, you guys banned me and I still haven't got my account. And I know why, because it's part of like evidentiary hearings because there are actual criminal prosecutions going on that people don't know about. OK, so I get it. I get it. I totally get it. And, you know, like you said, I didn't have my notes when I came here. That's because they want to see you trip up. You're going to bullshit. You're going to lie. You know, obviously, if you misspeak and it's kind of around the same thing, it's all right. But y'all even admitted earlier on that they didn't give him his documentation so that he can answer the correct the, the questions correctly. They do that all the time. And this is why I haven't got my Twitter account. Because I'll be like, hey, did you DM with this person? I'll be like, I don't know, but give me the context. Maybe I'll remember if it was important enough. You know, there are literal criminal cases happening right now. I, I'm i going to say this and you, it's just like, okay, sure, whatever, whatever. But this little soy boy is upset. Homophobic and anti-Semitic threats and harassment against me of which Twitter has removed vanishingly little, and following the Daily Mail's decision to publish where I live, ultimately I had to leave my home and sell it. Those are the consequences for this type of online harassment and speech. Well, that's, I must say, those are very real consequences. Uh, by legitimizing unsubstantiated conspiracy theories about the deep 
state, big tech, and, gov and government censorship for political gain, committee Republicans are holding a match to a powder keg. We all saw the consequences of this kind of rhetoric on January 6th, and we continue to see it play out as political violence and hate crimes grip communities around the country. And I yield back, Mr. Chairman. That lady yields back. Chair recognizes Ms. Mace for five minutes. <clears throat> Thank you, Mr. Chairman. The Twitter fires files were not just about Hunter Biden's laptop. Twitter files make it apparent Twitter worked overtime to suppress accurate COVID information. Dr. Jay Bhattacharya is a professor of medicine at Stanford who once tweeted an article he wrote about natural immunity. Thanks to Elon Musk's release of the Twitter files, we learned some of his tweets were tagged with the label of trends blacklist. Apparently, the views of a Stanford doctor are disinformation to you people. I, along with many Americans, have long-term effects from COVID. Not only was I a long hauler, but I have effects from the vaccine. It wasn't the first shot, but it was the second shot that I now developed asthma that has never gone away since I had the second shot. Um, I have tremors in my left hand, and I have the occasional heart pain that no doctor can explain, and I've had a battery of tests. I find it extremely alarming Twitter's unfettered censorship spread into medical fields and affected millions of Americans by suppressing expert opinions from doctors and censoring those who disagree with the CDC. I have great regrets about getting the shot because of the health issues that I now have that I don't think are ever going to go away. And I know that I'm not the only American who has those kinds of concerns. Another example of what Twitter has done to censor folks is uh, from Dr. Martin Koldorf, a Harvard-educated epidemiologist who once tweeted, COVID vaccines are important for high-risk people and their caretakers. Those with prior natural infection do not need it, nor children. The Twitter files reveal this tweet was deemed false information because it ran contrary to the CDC. So my first question this morning of Ms. Gaddy, may I ask of you, where did you go to medical school? I did not go to medical school. I'm sorry? I did not go to medical school. That's what I thought. Why do you think you or anyone else at Twitter had the medical expertise to censor a doctor's expert opinion? Our policies regarding COVID were designed to protect individuals. We were seeing... You guys censored Harvard-educated doctors, Stanford-educated doctors, doctors that are educated in the best places in the world, and you silenced those voices. My next question is, did the U.S. government, oh, excuse me, I have another chart I want to show you, Ms. Gaddy. Um, I have another tweet by someone with a following of a full 18,000 followers. This person put a chart from the CDC on Twitter. It's the CDC's own data, so it's accurate by your standards. And you all labeled this as misleading. You're not a doctor, right, Ms. Gaddy? No, I'm not. Okay. What makes you think you or anyone else at Twitter have the medical expertise to censor actual, accurate CDC data? I'm not familiar with these particular situations. Yeah, I'm sure you're not. But this is what Twitter did. They labeled this as inaccurate. It is the government's own data. It's ridiculous that we're even having to have this conversation today. It's not just about the laptop. This is about medical advice that expert doctors were trying to give Americans because social media companies like Twitter were silencing their voices. I have another question, my last one for you, Ms. Uh, Gaddy. 
Did the U.S. government ever contact you or anyone at Twitter to pressure Twitter to moderate or censor certain tweets? Yes or no? We have a program. Did the U.S. government ever contact you or anyone at Twitter to censor or moderate certain tweets? Yes or no? We receive legal demands to remove content from the platform from the U.S. government and governments all around the world. Those are published on a third-party website, and anyone can review Thank them. God for Matt Taibbi. Thank God for Elon Musk for allowing to show us in the world that Twitter was basically a subsidiary of the FBI, censoring real medical voices with real expertise that put real Americans' lives in danger because they didn't have that information. I also want to thank one of my colleagues, uh, Ro Khanna, because it, as it turns out, censorship isn't just an important issue to conservatives. Some of my colleagues on the other side of the aisle, like Ro, uh, found this censorship very concerning um, and even wrote to you and to folks at Twitter um, that uh, he was concerned about the First Amendment being censored. So I want to thank him for speaking up and speaking out about this issue um, because this, is not, this should not be a, a partisan issue. This should be an issue that's an American issue. Mr. Chairman, I would like to enter into uh, the record, I ask unanimous consent, to enter into the record a Wall Street Journal article from December 9th, 2022 by Justin Hart entitled The Twitter Back Blacklisting of Jay Bhattacharya. And to the record, please, Mr. Chair. Without objection, so ordered. Thank you, and I yield back. Chair recognizes Mr. Lynch for five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I just want to go over the chronology here, Mr. Roth. Uh, back in 2016, Russia and Vladimir Putin engaged in what bipartisan Senate Intelligence Committee investigators called a, and I quote, aggressive multifaceted effort to influence the outcome of that year's presidential election. The campaign. Uh, included hacking of the systems of major, a major political party and leaking illegally obtained information, scanning U.S. election systems for vulnerabilities and exploiting the weaknesses of social media platforms to spread disinformation to the American people. <clears throat> Again, in a 2017 declassified report, the U.S. intelligence community assessed that Russia's 2016 election operations signaled a, quote, new normal in Russian influence efforts and that the Kremlin would, quote, apply lessons learned going forward against the U.S. and its allies. Mr. Roth, in a December interview uh, with journalist Kara Swisher, you state that this declassified assessment was, quote, and I'm quoting you, a watershed moment in the history of content moderation and the Internet, close quote. You also stated in that interview uh, that Twitter discuss potential threats to the integrity of the 2020 elections, and it was, quote, and I'm quoting you again, obvious to think about the most influential thing that impacted the 2016 election, which was the hack and leak campaign organized by R the Russian government, and that, quote, we would have been stupid not to think about that risk. Mr. Roth, why would Twitter have been stupid uh, to ignore that, that risk? Thank you for the question, Congressman. I think Twitter and the entire social media industry were frankly caught with their pants down in 2016 and missed an opportunity to do the critical work of protecting election security. This isn't my judgment. This is the judgment of academics and researchers who have spent years studying Russian active measures. And most of their conclusions suggest that the number one most influential 
part of the Russian active measures campaign in 2016 was the hack and leak targeting John Podesta. It would have been foolish not to consider the possibility that they would run that play again. Right. And, and so let me ask, was, was that top of mind for, for Twitter? You're trying, to, you're trying to measure the credibility of incoming uh, intelligence. Uh, was that top of mind uh, in, in, in regard to your decision, the company's decision to temporarily limit the distribution of the October 14th New York Post story that was delivered? All right, so this is coming from the guy who wears a pin for the country abortion, right? And this is coming from Yo, who apparently uh, thinks that he's responsible for elections, right? They, we should have in 2016 made sure we protected elections. That's not your job, loser, right? Not your job, loser. And not your job, loser. Boston, get your shit together. Who's this guy supporting the country abortion? So proudly, too. Delivered by uh, Mayor Giuliani. Yes, that was one of the animating concerns for us. For nearly two years, we had engaged in scenario planning exercises for potential risks tied to the elections. And one of them appeared to be happening that day. Now, again, I think the facts were complicated. And I, I do believe Twitter made a mistake then. but. Our judgment was colored by the experience of 2016 and by the very real Russian activities that we saw play out that year. Mr. Roth, in a December 2020 sworn declaration to the FEC, you said that starting in 2018, you had, quote, regular meetings with the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, the Department of Homeland Security, the FBI, and industry peers regarding election security. Is that correct? Yes, sir, it is. Okay. You stated that during these meetings, quote, federal law enforcement agencies communicated that they expected hack and leak operations by state actors that might occur in the period shortly before the 2020 presidential election, likely in October, and that there were, quote, rumors that a hack and leak operation would involve Hunter Biden, close quote. Is that your recollection today? It is, but I want to clarify that sentence slightly. I think it Hold on, before this uh, soy boy clarifies, right, let me clarify something. The FBI had the laptop in late 2019. And if you remember when Seth Rich was copying servers and transmission, the FBI was also transmitting, and it does take a big chunk of bandwidth. So as they were transmitting... Hunter Biden's laptop was also intercepted, hence how some people were able to publish articles in early 2020 with Hunter laptop emails, right? Because it's like, I want you to think of data. Just I want you to envision this. I want you to envision a river of flowing digits. And then suddenly this river gets engorged, like as if there's a rock that's stuck and then the water goes all around it. I want you, to, you can actually feel that pulse in the ether of the information highway. And then once you see that pulse, you can go to where th that bulge or drop of water is like ag aggregating to then flow, right? And you can tap into it, kind of like you tap into a maple tree for syrup and you go dip, drip, 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 drip. I just want to point that out. Very important point out. Sure. It actually should have been two separate sentences. 
It is true that in meetings between industry and law enforcement, law enforcement discussed the possibility of a hack and leak campaign in the lead up to the election. And in one of those meetings, it was discussed, I believe by another company, that there was a possibility that that hack and leak could relate to Hunter Biden and Burisma. I don't believe that perspective was shared by law enforcement. They didn't endorse it. They didn't provide that information in that okay. meeting. Just to, to fast forward here, uh, and in fact, in March 2021, four months after the election, uh, the U.S. intelligence community assessed that Russian President Putin authorized an, a range of, of government organizations conducted influence operations aimed at denigrated President Biden's candidacy and the Democratic Party, supporting former President Trump and undermining public confidence in the electoral process and exacerbating political divisions in the U.S. that obviously reared their head on January 6th. Uh, Mr. Chairman, my time has expired and I yield back. Gentleman yields back. Chair recognizes Mr. Jordan for five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Roth, did the government tell you that the Biden laptop story was fake? No, sir, they did not. Did they tell you it was hacked? No, sir, they did not. On October 14, 2020, Twitter blocks the New York Post story on the Hunter Biden, uh, the New York Post story on Hunter Biden and suspends their account. The night before, FBI Special Agent Elvis Chan sends you an email. The email says this, heads up, I will be sending a teleporter link for you to download 10 documents. It's not spam. Please confirm receipt when you get it. Two minutes later, 6.24 p.m., you respond back, received and downloaded, thanks. What were those 10 documents? Twitter didn't give me access to my laptop, but Special Agent Chan has said publicly and the FBI has confirmed that those documents did not relate to Hunter Biden, and that's my recollection of them. What did they relate to? My interactions with Agent Chan and with the FBI almost entirely focused on what the FBI called malign foreign interference, things like Russian troll farms and Iranian involvement in the elections, not on any type of domestic Is any of the information on there classified? No, sir, I do not hold a security clearance, and so I would not have received any classified information. Who does hold a security clearance? I'm, going to, I'm just going to second email here. I'm just curious about this. Uh, what I propose is that 30 days out from the election, this is, a, this is another email to you from Mr. Chan, 30 days, you get, we get uh, temporary clearances. You pick who they are. Who were the people at Twitter who had a security clearance? To be honest, sir, I'm not sure. And we never ultimately followed through on this plan to get temporary clearances. Did anyone at Twitter have a security clearance? It's my understanding that at least some current or former employees did hold clearances, but I wasn't certain about Ms. that. Ms. Gaddy, do you know if anyone took up Mr. Chan's offer to hand out security clearances 30 days before the 2020 election? Not that I'm aware. So we don't know how many people had security clearances? Twitter, do we know? Mr. Baker, Mr. Gaddy, Ms. Gaddy, anyone know how many people on Twitter had a security clearance in the 30 days prior to the election? I don't know the answer to that question, Ms. sir. Ms. Gaddy? I do not know. Mr. Roth, you don't know? No, sir. Well, how about the last one? Ms. Navaroli, do you know? No. I mean, the, it seemed like the offer was to sort of just hand them out like candy. I just wondered who had them. No one knows? Okay. Uh, did, so the FBI didn't tell you uh, that, the, that it was fake, didn't tell you that it was hacked. Uh, and, and Mr. Roth, did the, did the story violate your policies? In my judgment at the time, no, it did not. Yeah, that's what you said. Said what I would propose, uh, excuse me, is you said it isn't clearly a violation of our hack materials policy, nor is it clearly a violation of anything else. So I think what a lot of people are wondering is if it didn't violate your policies and they didn't tell you it was fake, didn't tell you it was hacked, why'd you take it down? The company made a decision that found that it did violate the policy. 
It wasn't my personal judgment at the time that it did, but the decision was communicated to me by my direct supervisor, and ultimately, I didn't disagree with it enough to object to you know, you know what? You know what I think happened, Mr. Roth? I think, I think you guys got played. I think you guys wanted to, wanted to take it deep down. We saw what the chairman put up where you said, you know, everyone in the White House is, an, is a fascist. I think you guys wanted it to t be taken down. I think you meet with these guys every week. We know that's been established in the Twitter files. You had weekly meetings with Mr. Chan in the run-up to the election. They send you all kinds of emails. They send you documents on the super secret James Bond teleporter. You get information on that. I think you guys wanted to take it down. I think you guys got played by the FBI. And that's the scary part. Because we had 50, I mean, the, the, this to me is the real takeaway. 51 former intelligence officials five days after you guys take down the Hunter Biden story and block the New York Post account. Five days later, 51 former Intel officials send a letter and they say, the Hunter Biden Stop. We need to listen to that again. Let's go back. Did the government tell you that the Biden laptop story was fake? No, sir, they did not. Did they tell you it was hacked? No, sir, they did not. On October 14, 2020, Twitter blocks the New York Post story on the Hunter Biden uh, the New York Post story on Hunter Biden and suspends their account. The night before, FBI Special Agent Elvis Chan sends you an email. The email says this, heads up, I will be sending a teleporter link for you to download 10 documents. It's not spam. Please confirm receipt when you get it. Two minutes later, 6.24 p.m., you respond back, received and downloaded. Huh. I will be sending a teleporter link for you to download 10 documents. It's not spam. Please confirm receipt when you get it. So the FBI, Squad CY-1 National Security FBI San Francisco, Mr. Elvis, Elvis is in the building, sends him documents. Thanks. What were those 10 documents? Twitter didn't give me access to my laptop, but Special Agent Chan has said publicly, and the FBI has confirmed that those documents did not relate to Hunter Biden, and that's my recollection of that. What did they relate to? My interactions with Agent Chan and with the FBI almost entirely focused on what the FBI called malign foreign interference. So what would constitute malign foreign interference? Like, are we still doing this Russia thing? Right? And then let's say that they are against Russia. Let's just, let's just think about this for a second. And then this is just like, this is me talking off the cuff, right? Russia, 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 Russia. But Russia could have nuked us when we exploded their Nord Stream pipeline and didn't. Russia could have stopped the Ukraine war within like a day. It would have been game over, but they didn't. Hmm. This is just food for thought. Food for thought. Can you see the two camps? Going back to the CDC and the global who charts of human capital H, human little H. Things like Russian troll farms and Iranian involvement in the elections, not on any type of domestic Any of the information on there classified? No, sir, I do not hold a security clearance, and so I would not have received any classified information. Who does hold a security clearance? I'm, gonna, I'm just going to second email here. I'm just curious about this. Uh, what I propose is that 30 days out from the election, this is, a, this is another email to you from Mr. Chan, 30 days, you get, we get uh, temporary clearances, you pick who they are. Who were the people at Twitter who had a security clearance? To be honest, sir, I'm not sure, and we never ultimately followed through on this plan to get temporary clearances. Did anyone at Twitter have a security clearance? 
It's my understanding that at least some current or former employees did hold clearances, but I wasn't certain about Ms. that. Ms. Gaddy, do you know if anyone took up Mr. Chan's offer to hand out security clearances 30 days before the 2020 election? Not that I'm aware. So we don't know how many people had security clearances? Twitter, do we know? Mr. Baker, Mr. Gaddy, Ms. Gaddy, anyone know how many people on Twitter had a security clearance in the 30 days prior to the election? I don't know the answer to that question, Ms. sir. Ms. Gaddy? I do not know. Ms. Ms. Yeah, Roth, they don't. don't. They don't. They don't. They don't. Their boss did. They know that. So the question is, why isn't Allison there? Why isn't Del Harvey subpoenaed? Why isn't the woman with the answers there? Why? Because they can't interrogate a D. Mm. The last one. Ms. Navaroli, do you know? No. I mean, it, it seemed like the offer was to sort of just hand them out like candy. I just wondered who had them. No one knows? Okay. Uh, did, so the FBI didn't tell you uh, that, the, that it was fake, didn't tell you that it was hacked. Uh, and, and Mr. Roth, did the, did the story violate your policies? In my judgment at the time, no, it did not. Yeah, that's what you said. Said what I would propose, uh, excuse me, as you said, it isn't clearly a violation of our hack materials policy, nor is it clearly a violation of anything else. So I think what a lot of people are wondering is if it didn't violate your policies and they didn't tell you it was fake, didn't tell you it was hacked, why'd you take it down? The company made a decision that found that it did violate the policy. It wasn't my personal judgment at the time that it did, but the decision was communicated to me by my direct supervisor, and ultimately, I didn't disagree with it enough to object to you know, you know what? You know what I think happened, Mr. Roth? I think, I think you guys got played. I think you guys wanted to, wanted to take it deep down. We saw what the chairman put up where you said, you know, everyone in the White House is, is a fascist. I think you guys wanted it to be taken down. I think you meet with these guys every week. We know that's been established in the Twitter files. You had weekly meetings with Mr. Chan in the run-up to the election. They send you all... So recap on this questioning, which is complete whitewashing, because right now we have that soy boy Yol there, right, who's, who's very indoctrinated. You can see the cognitive dissonance, like, in his eyes, you know? And he has been maimed on media with comments he's made. They've referenced him. Like, no one deserves to be you know, trash like that, no matter how POS they are, at least keep it above board, right? Okay. But Soy Boy there was reporting to Del Harvey, which is not her real name, uh, who is DIA, by the way, who had one of the first Twitter accounts, because get this, in 2007, right before Twitter actually went live to the public and people actually got on it, um, she was there to help with bots, and bots didn't exist. Well, they did. They were in an um, offshoot lab that the DIA had, which is how to manipulate conversations on the internet. They deployed a soft push on that during Obama's election phase. This is where she came in. And when I was coming stateside, I was actually offered a position at SFO in Silicon Valley to be in charge of troll bots, meaning I unleash the troll bots and I get rid of the ones that are countering my government's troll bots. Why? Well, I wrote it in an article. I think it's on big league politics back in 2018 where the DIA actually deployed an operation with a lot of sock puppets on Twitter. She was in charge of that. And this was done in 2008, 2009, where they began the operation. And it all surrounded the Bradley slash Chelsea Manning case.
and there were bots. This is well documented. This is this has been declassified. So, you know, uh, this is why I published it. And I thought that, you know, people read. I was wrong at the time in 2018. Um, I just assumed that because people were making very, uh, you know, bold and strong and assertive comments that they were in the know. It seems like either our committee here is not in the know or they're purposely playing stupid and pandering to those that are lower level thinkers to red pill a couple of people or, you know, <laughs> um, give a little bit of a win. So people could be like, yeah. And it's like, this is not a win. If you guys want to win, we need to have Dell there. If you guys want to win, we need to have the DIA dragged in, right? We're talking circa 2008. 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, right? Because these were all operations deployed on all social media platforms. So it, it, it blows my mind. You know, we have this really soy guy who really wanted this, you know, because he was like, yeah, fastest, we should all be open. And uh, he sounds like a crybaby. But at the end of the day, I'm going to tell you, <laughs> Look at this. This is bullshit. If I was there, if I was Jim Jordan, I would be like, all right, bring Del Harvey. Hey, can you under oath tell me what your name is? No, 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 no. I don't want your cover. And tell me about the two different social security numbers. I see. And when did you get this job for trolls? Okay. And there weren't any troll bots then. So how did you know about these programs? Oh, you mean it was done by the DIA? Wait, no. Tori, stop. It was General Michael Hayden. That's right. Right? Remember? Roger Stone's company, IDC. Oh, the Chinese one. You know? You remember that? Remember how they all helped McCain? But they weren't helping McCain. They were just looking at the stats while Obama had bots that Brendan had created. Well, not himself, but... Well, we had bots. We were using them overseas. This is more Pakistani stuff. And that would make sense because I believe that maybe ISI was a little bit miffed and we probably had a little bit of Kashmir. <laughs> okay. So just so you know, Twitter had actually blocked access to Twitter to the nation of Pakistan. And then you have to ask yourself why. And it's like, yeah, because Karachi is a problem, kind of like how Karachi, right? Pakistani has actually tried to log into my Twitter accounts after I've been banned because I'm going to I've said this before and I'm going to say it again. The Pakistani intelligence is one of the most lethal on the planet. And most of your customer service agents are Indian, right? Or Pakistani, right? Well, they're usually Indians poached by the Pakistanis that go and train the Pakistanis, right? And most of those Indians that get this information are usually trained by the Chinese. So this is how it works. And Obama knows this very well. He's been to Karachi. He knows. I mean, one of his boyfriends was ISI. We all know that, right? So what are we really doing here? We're getting drips of truth. But we're getting digestible truths for those on the left. Why not rip the Band-Aid off? Isn't it time to do that? Like, when will it be time? Can we just shred your script, please, and go off script and make it right?
all kinds of emails. They send you documents on the super secret James Bond teleporter. You get information on that. I think you guys wanted to take it down. I think you guys got played by the FBI. And that's the scary part. Okay, teleporter is not super secret. They used to use wormhole and then they started using teleporter. And nobody uses teleporter. Go file is way better. Because we had 50, I mean, this to me is the real takeaway. 51 former intelligence officials five days after you guys take down the Hunter Biden story and block the New York Post account. Five days later, 51 former intel officials send a letter and they say, the Hunter Biden story has all the classic earmarks of a Russian information operation. The information operation was run on you guys. And then by extension, run on the American people. And that's the concern. And to Mr. Raskin's point that you guys aren't bound by the First Amendment because you're a private company, okay, maybe so. But your, and your terms of service don't have to comply with the First Amendment. Would that be right, Mr. Roth? They don't have to. You've said that as much in your testimony. My understanding of the First Amendment is that it protects people and businesses from government, not Understand. forms how the what I'm in your term of service. So here's what I want to know. Here's what I want to know. Is this, is this a violation of the First Amendment when the government, Mr. Chan, again, sending you an email saying we think these accounts need to be looked at because they violate your terms of service? That's a different standard. So you got the government saying your terms of service, which don't have to comply with the First Amendment, but the government saying we don't think these accounts comply with your terms of service. Please take them down. You see a problem there, Mr. Mr. Roth? Mr. Chairman, I'm seeing a flashing red light. I'm happy to answer the question. Um, do I think that that's a valuable use of the FBI's time? No, but I don't see in a request for review a problem under the First Amendment. No. I sure do. I, I, I thank the gentleman. I'll get back. Chair, recognize Mr. Connolly for five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Very good. My, 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 what happens when you hold a hearing and you can't prove your point? <laughs> um, we heard from the chairman in his opening statement that uh, it's wrong for government to call Twitter and say, take down a tweet. Did I hear that correct, Mr. Roth? That was my understanding, yes. Yeah. So. On May 27, 2020, President Donald J. Trump tweeted, and I quote, Republicans feel that social media platforms totally silence conservatives. By the way, something that would come as news to you, apparently, Mr. Roth, because you're still the subject of conservative harassment. We will strongly regulate, he went on to say, or close them down before we ever allow this to happen, unquote. Ms. Navaroli, doesn't that sound eerily like a government official telling Twitter that there's a threat will shut you down if we don't like the content? I am not familiar with the tweet that you have referenced. Well, but if I just told you that quote without telling you who said it, might it have some ominous overtones from your point of view if you're still at Twitter? We'll shut you down. We'll regulate you. We will never allow this to happen. Those are pretty strong words. They are. Yeah. Okay. On September 8th, 2019, at 11, p.m., Donald Trump heckled two celebrities on Twitter, uh, John Legend and his wife, Chrissy Tagan, and referred to them as the musician John Legend and his filthy mouth wife okay so his filthy mouth wife 
John Legend? Let's look that up. Legend, Chrissy, Tegan. Let's see how filthy. Wait a minute. Let's play it. I mean, because they found this funny. So let's just go to the filthy wife. All right? Give me a second. Are they coming for me? No. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Here we go. Let's make that. And let's start it. Let's go. His girlfriend. Oh my gosh. That's like, <laughs> it's so exciting to meet another CIA agent. Well, let's get into the rest of it where they meet. He's like, oh my gosh, this is so exciting. I get to meet him. Oh, you need to meet, but oh my gosh, I got it first. I got it first. Get in, get in the picture, baby. <laughs> Thank you. You smell great. Okay, somebody's got to take my picture. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, you stalked him. Yes. You got it? Oh, we got to show that to you then. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I live in LA. You all know what I'm going to show, right? It's the one that I've always done. Where is it? Wait, hold on. What? Don't tell me they removed it. Wait. Oh, no. It's gone from where my little thing is. Let me see. Where is it? Hold on. Give me a second. Let me see if someone actually... In 2015, Tegan responded to an extra question on the Grammys red carpet about a public place you did it by saying, is it the worst public sex or, or the best? And then John Legend says to her, you know, um, it's always best. She's like, yeah, maybe the Obama thing, not the White House. It was 100% not the White House. He wasn't elected yet. Did you hear that? It was 100% not the White House. He wasn't elected yet. 100% not the White House. He wasn't elected yet. I'm looking for that video. So we can back up what we're, we're saying here. Give me a second. Let me see. Why can't I find it? Did they scrub that? I'm sure I have it on a hard drive somewhere. Um, let's see if it's here. Because this is pertinent. Let's see. Um, yeah, it looks like they all deleted and perched it. All these um, alleged. Um, where's the video? Oh, man. I'm going to look in one more place. Oh, well, she did. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. She did have this video out. Let me. 
get this up. But I'm going to look for it while this video plays. Let's go. No one has hair like you. FYI, this video is a cover-up for the truth, right? She, this is a lie. And this isn't 2021. Hold on. He's, uh, they're they're going to hate this. this. It's, it's I, all, because because I, I, you don't have to answer it. No, I want to. Okay. Because I need to clear it up. Okay. Because one time at the Grammys, I had said that it was um, that we had sex at that Obama thing. And that came out wrong. Um, because what I actually meant was it was that Obama thing, but it wasn't like with them or or near them. What do you mean? What Obama thing? It so was. What? It was. At, I believe it was the DNC, actually. So it was the DNC. Sorry. So when you said that Obama, Obama thing, thing, I meant the you DNC. meant the Democratic National Convention. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Otherwise known as that Obama thing. <laughs> so you're at the convention. Yeah. And uh, there was a bathroom. It was in the bathroom. <laughs> uh, and, uh, yeah, it was. It was a long time. It was. It was a while ago. I mean, we were like. I mean, I can fire these off if you want. I can say like Ron Herman, Fred Siegel, like boo boo. Fred Siegel. <laughs> no. Oh my God. Yeah, right in front of the juice bar. Have you? On a plane, in the... <laughs> you don't have not to keep even, going. Not it's even right. private, James. Wow. Public. Right? Not even public. In the meantime. Oh, let me get rid of her. She makes me sick. But, so DNC, all these names, and someone found it. Thank you. And I got it on YouTube, so it was on extra still. Okay, the links were just dead. Okay, let's watch this. This is filthy mouth. Pick, pick it out, read it. Pick, pick it out, read it, and answer. Public place, you did it. Is this the best or worst? <laughs> the best. Okay, the best. Um, probably the Obama thing. What? <laughs> John, what's the, oh God, oh God, John, what, what, what is, what is your wife talking about? I don't know. We heard we're not, in there. Christy, get back in. Uh, what happened? We're not going to discuss that. We're not going to discuss it? We're not. We're right, not. Okay. Oh my God. <laughs> Secret service. Come here, jump back in. Hi. Look at John, look at, I don't, hi. <laughs> we're not talking about it. That's the truth. That is an awesome yeah. answer. Not the White House. Not the, it was not, it the, was not at the White House. It was 100% not at the White House. He was not elected yet. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, okay. we're moving uh, on. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm in trouble now. No, you're good. The Obama thing. Not at the White House before he was elected. And then she said DNC. So was it the convention? I see. Wow. That far back? Huh. Fascinating, isn't it? Now let's go back to this whitewash hearing with the filthy mouth wife quickly where this guy's offended for them unquote Ms. Pagan responded to that email at 12:17 a.m. and and according to notes from a conversation with you Ms. Navarroli's counsel your counsel the white house almost immediately thereafter contacted twitter to demand the tweet be taken down is that accurate thank you for the question in my role, I was not responsible for receiving any sort of request from the government. However, what I was privy to was my supervisors letting us know that we had received something along those lines or something of a request. In that particular instance, I do remember hearing 
that we had received a request from the White House to make sure that we evaluated this tweet and that they wanted it to come down because it was a derogatory statement uh, uh, directed whoa, 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 towards whoa, the president. They wanted it to come down. They made that request. To my recollection, yes. I thought that was an inappropriate action by a government official, let alone the White House. But it wasn't Joe Biden about his son's laptop. It was Donald Trump because he didn't like what Chrissy Teigen had to say about him. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. My, my, my. Um, do you ever think it's appropriate for the President of the United States to direct or otherwise influence a social media company to take down its content? I think it's a very slippery slope. Mr. Roth, Ms. Gaddy, Mr. Baker, any evidence that Joe Biden's ever done that? Certainly none that I'm aware of, no. I don't recall anything like that. I'm sorry, the, the, the President Biden did what, sir? Has Joe Biden ever called Twitter, to your knowledge, or his White House at his behest to take down content or urge you to take down content? I don't know the answer to that question, sir. Well, I, I'm going to have to conclude at least from three of the four. You don't know. There's no evidence he's ever done that. But there's plenty of evidence Donald J. Trump tried to do that. And um, if we're going to have a hearing about the misuse of social media and the intrusion of government in the content on social media, we've got an environment-rich target, but it's not Joe Biden. It's Donald J. Trump. And of course, we don't want to talk about that. We don't want to talk about Russian bots and Russian fabrications using fake accounts on Twitter to a political purpose, and it's not to help elect Democrats. Um, and we don't want to talk about four years of Donald Trump manipulating the truth and trying to manipulate social media and threaten it, uh, or directly to try to shape it by taking down content because it was critical of him personally. Um, and that's what we ought to be talking about as we move forward, not the subject of today's hearing. I yield back. Gentlemen, yields back. Chair, recognize Mr. Donalds for five minutes. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, real quick, Mr. Roth, um, you've stated already that uh, what happened with the, the New York Post story was similar to the hack and leak scenarios from 2016. You also said that you've, you actually were opposed to deleting the New York Post uh, story. Uh, who advocated for the removal of the New York Post story? The company's decision to treat it as a violation. Mr. Roth, who at the company actually went over your recommendation? Because you're pretty high up. Who overrode you? The decision was communicated to me by my direct supervisor. Who was that person? Her name was Del Harvey. She okay. was the vice president of trust and safety at the time. All right, thank you so much. Uh, Ms. Gaddy, real quick, you said uh, to the chairman earlier, and, and, and I wanna paraphrase what I heard earlier, is that Twitter had no contact with anybody from the Biden team. Is that correct to your knowledge? Not to my knowledge. Put that up for me. Okay, over my right shoulder, we have an email. Reference, this is, this is Saturday, October 24th, uh, 5.39 p.m referencing five different tweets is that at, with a Twitter email chain. Under the line, it's more to review from the Biden team. Does anybody have a comment on how much interaction was happening with the Biden team at Twitter with respect to tweets that they wanted Twitter to review? Ms. Gaddy, Mr. Roth? I'm not familiar with this email. So 
You're not familiar with this email, Mr. Roth. Are you familiar with this email? Only from what's been reported in the Twitter files. Had you, did you ever have contact with anybody from the Biden team? No, sir, I did not. We explicitly separated the teams that would interact with campaigns from teams like mine that were responsible for content moderation. How big was the organization in Twitter that was actually working with campaigns? I couldn't say for sure. Did you ever have any contact with the DNC? Directly? No, I did not. Did anybody at Twitter have any contact with anybody at the DNC? I think it's likely that somebody at Twitter did, yes. In these, in these emails, it says that these are, th these are tweets that had to be flagged from the Biden team. That's what's in the files. Um, you have no idea how many people actually in uh, engage with the Twitter team or how frequently that engagement happened. No, and again, that was by design. We kept those functions separate from content moderation so that we could impartially assess reports like this. Do you know how many tweets were actually flagged and taken down at the behest of the Biden team? I wouldn't agree with the characterization of it as being at the behest of them. These tweets were reported and Twitter independently evaluated them under its but the, rules. But the, but the email is very clear. More to review from Biden team. The response three hours later at the bottom, hold this up real quick so we can see. The request at the bottom, it says, handled these. What does handled these mean? My understanding is that these tweets contained non-consensual nude photos of Hunter Biden and they were removed by the company under- Hold on, real quick, Mr. Roth, how can you know so much about the content of these tweets? I mean, as far as I'm concerned, these are just web addresses. I don't know what's in these tweets. You have these things committed to memory that you know the content, but you don't know who you talk to, you talk to at the Biden team? Sir, I didn't meet with the Biden team, but there was extensive public reporting about these tweets specifically that uncovered what they you were. You know the contents of the tweets. I it was obviously at Twitter, but you have no idea how often people who worked in your organization had with the Biden team during the end of the 2020 presidential elections? I would emphasize that the people who interfaced with the campaigns were not part of my team or organization. I would know what the interactions were if they were on my team. It was a different part of the organization, not mine. Let me ask you a separate question, and I'll ask it of, of you too, Mr. Baker. Have you guys been able to quantify the amount of in-kind contributions associated with taking down the New York Post story? Because the New York Post story was down for two weeks, give or take. Do you have, do you have any uh, understanding of how, how much that story was limited by Twitter and also by other social media companies? What the impact of an in-kind contribution that would be to the Joe Biden presidential election in 2020? I don't know the answer to that question, sir. Do you think it's big? I don't know the answer. Do you think it's more than a maximum contribution to a campaign? I don't. I wouldn't want to speculate. Like, no! I don't, don't know, know the answer. Oh, Mr. Baker, if you were to prosecute someone for campaign finance, you would say that's a couple million dollars. Ooh, Donald, ding. What a sexy angle. Ooh. Campaign contributions in kind. In kind. Oh, by the way, you know, my my campaign was targeted for alleged campaign violations. And then when the guy was going to say that there was no violation, someone nudged him and he changed his mind, but they're not going to prosecute. Bitches, I'm coming for you in federal court. I'm going to make you guys sit up so hard and tall. Wexner's in a lot of trouble. A lot of trouble. Well, no, the politicians are, but in-kind contributions 
campaign finance. You got to translate that into money. Don't they get them within kind contributions? And Mr. Baker doesn't know. I'm pretty sure he prosecuted a few of those cases in his time. To that question. 100,000? Sir, I don't know the answer to the question. A million? I don't know the answer to the question. Do you think Twitter would be in violation of uh, federal election laws with the size of an in-kind contribution to take down a story, which is true, by the way, because you guys thought you knew something with limited information? I'm not going to speculate on that uh, sitting here today, sir. I try to, give a, or try to propound a legal analysis of uh, election laws. I'll yield back. Gentleman yields back. Chair recognizes Ms. Ocasio-Cortez. It's your turn. You want to go? Okay. We won't start the clock till you get there. Appreciate also your uh, generosity. Um, let's, uh, let's, I, I just want to start off um, right here at the top here. This isn't even my line of question. This is the finale. This is the, the record, a Washington Post article, now warning about Hunter Biden laptop disinformation, the guy who leaked it. Here's the deal. Before I even get into my questions, I think that the story here with the, New York, uh, with the Washington Post reporting is that what they're saying right here, when the New York Post first reported in October 2020 that it had obtained contents of a laptop computer allegedly owned by Joe Biden's son Hunter, there was an immediate roadblock faced by other news outlets that hoped to corroborate reporting, as many did. The newspaper wasn't sharing what it obtained. New York Post had this alleged information and was trying to publish it without any corroboration, without any backup information. They were trying to publish it to Twitter. Twitter did not let them, and now they were upset. I believe that political operatives who sought to inject explosive disinformation with the Washington Post couldn't get away with it. And now they're livid, and they want the ability to do it again. They want the ability to inject this again. So they've dragged a social media platform here in Congress they're weaponizing the use of this committee so that they can do it again. A whole hearing about a 24-hour hiccup in a right-wing political operation. That is why we... Okay, not right-wing, centrist, pro-America, pro-sovereignty, right? AOC? And the Washington Post is riddled with agency assets. Okay? And they are not an authority. So let's see what her point is. We are here right now. And it is, it, it's just a, an abuse of public resources, an abuse of public time. We could be talking about health care. We could be talking about bringing down the cost of prescription drugs. We could be talking about abortion rights, civil rights, voting rights. But instead, we're talking about Hunter Biden's half-fake laptop story. I mean, I mean this, this is, is an embarrassment. embarrassment. Wait a minute, wait a minute. What do you mean half-fake? Half fake. First of all, she looks very different. Her teeth look smaller, so that's weird. But what does she mean by half fake? What does that even mean? And, you know, the, the lesbian over here? She's, and, and, and Tori, how do you know? Because maybe I've seen her in a bar. Okay, let's leave it at that. So, um, so they all look at her for some hope. She's liking what she's saying. So is she trying to say that the Twitter files right, are being done so that we can push the Hunter Biden laptop story. No, that's bullshit. I'll show you why. Here we go. So everything you're learning about Twitter, 
I had told you about. On August 19th, 2018, and on August 19th, 2018, I was actually in court, still published it. Um, and Patrick Howley helped me. He was yelling at me and I was like, stop. Like, I'm not putting out stuff that's classified. So I'm going to read it. So this was published August 19, 2018 on Big League Politics. Case law. Big tech companies are government contractors, so suppressing free speech is illegal. That was my argument. If it's a government agency and they're silencing the public, that's illegal. That's a First Amendment thing. Remember how they discussed, hey, you are First Amendment. Oh, it doesn't apply. It's just the people with the government. And it's like, but you are big government. Right. And so here we are having this conversation five years later that I already had. What is up with all this toe fungus freaking commercials? Let me zoom in. I can stay with the words and not the fungus. All right. Big tech is no longer private. And the major Silicon Valley companies are actually an extension of the intelligence community. I see. Existing legislation and case law shows that big tech companies are technically government entities by way of subcontracting. Judge Collier's recent memo confirms this. In her memorandum of opinion, dated April 2017, she made it clear that CrowdStrike was not considered a government entity, nor did they fulfill the IC scope because no memorandum of understanding was in place between the company and the government intelligence agency. Thus, any entity without a valid MOU in place with the FBI or any division of the CIA in the eyes of the law is considered an intelligence community element. And how do I have this? Well, I did work for Bush and Obama. I want you to take a look at this. Executive Order 1233, revision. It was revised to state uh, that instead of saying little consideration of the national intelligence effort at non-federal level, it was revised to state, local, and tribal governments are critical partners. The intelligence community is allowed to provide specialized equipment, technical knowledge, or assistance of expert personnel to local law enforcement and agencies where lives are endangered. And that was split up into two things, that the intelligence community should take their requirements and responsibilities into account. And the intelligence community also may consider requirements and responsibilities of private sector entities. Now, why is this important? According to Executive Order 1233, as amended in its entirety by former President Bush in 2008, right before he left office, and the Executive Orders Section 2.3 that Obama amended right before he left office, it is clear that the intelligence community is now composed of elements, not employees. And these elements include private companies. Thus, in the eyes of the law, private companies are actually government entities because they are treated as such. Thus, they are mandated to provide scheduled reports as part of their contractual obligations, such as providing data, collected, raw, intercepted communications upstreams, and also would explain why they're sitting down and talking to this Elvis Chan dude for all this time, you know, sharing information. So this is something that I put out in 2018, but you know, everyone else is an expert and knows this, right? So this is why we're here five years later talking about something that should have been news then. These memorandums of opinion are considered law in novel situations, such as in the case of CrowdStrike, in the case of Carter Page. My piece, exclusive judge who signed FISA warrant strongly criticized Lynch and Clapper, indicated that the memorandum of opinion, and I linked up the document, 
that CrowdStrike having no contract, no training or guidelines set by the FBI meant that the company was not considered a member of the intelligence community. Thus, their audit of the DNC hack cannot be accepted as determination at face value that protocols according to the law that were not followed. This is where we now have the law dictating what constitutes an intelligence community element. So here are the guidelines. They have to have a contract. All social media companies have memorandums of understandings with the FBI, DOJ, and other IC agencies. Most recently, Amazon reported such with facial recognition. They have to have an initial on they have to have initial and ongoing training. Hence why Elvis Chan was there, hence why they were sending documents, hence why they were giving out, you know, all these temporary clearances. Now, all social media companies have such training. Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Google most recently had a training seminar by the NSA advising them on how to collect, disseminate, and store data collected on their website. This is a key element in the George Papadopoulos case where the warrant indicated Facebook's compliance in providing texts as noted in their agreement. This further reinforcement reinforces that the law acknowledges Facebook as a partner and part of the intelligence community. It's an intelligence community element. There have to be set guidelines for the scope of work. So the IC normally, when it approaches a private company, and I've done this before in my career, right? When you approach a private company to obtain information, you give them a scope because that is the only place where you're going to give them some cover or at least, you know, have people like, I don't know, a committee hearing exclude the assets that you have placed to assist in this, right? So here's where we go with <laughs> the guidelines. This is something most memorandum of understandings or memorandum of agreements have whole sections dedicated to it. That alone would suffice. But per project request and demand new scopes are outlined as in the case with Apple and their technology when requesting further access outside of the scope of the memorandum of agreement that has been in place for a decade. And if you remember, I was more referring to the San Bernardino case with that dummy that went into the garbage can and then they wanted a back door and then they sent a patch because there was a Pegasus thing and they got caught. But anyway, <laughs> with the whole San Bernardino debacle which was a false flag, and they got caught. So anyway, thus, with the above, I believe a solid argument indicating that big tech, in the eyes of the law, is considered an IC element. It would be exciting and valuable to see this argued in a court of law to further clarify the vague definitions in Section 702 and the Executive Order of 1233. In my opinion, this argument is necessary. Considering that big tech companies are IC elements, the laws cited below and how they apply have heavier penalties if done by government employees and contractors. Case law holds that big tech companies are considered contractors. Look at the laws that the government contractors cannot violate. 18 U.S. Code 241, Conspiracy Against Rights. If two or more persons conspire to injure, oppress, threaten, or intimidate any person in any state, territory, commonwealth, possession, or district in the, in, to free or exercise enjoyment of any right or privilege secured to him by the Constitution or the laws of the United States or because of his having to exercise the same. Oh, you mean what Elvis Chan was doing with Twitter, okay, and what Del Harvey was doing. 
at Twitter. Considering the recent attacks from big tech companies working in concert to eliminate voices like Alex Jones, Laura Luma, Liz Crokin, and many more just in the last few days, we can easily surmise that this indeed fulfills the requirement of two or more persons because the term person, as identified in Title I, is the words person and whoever include corporations, companies, associations, firms, partnerships, societies, and joint stock companies, as well as individuals. This would also mean that many companies that we see as private are actually intelligence elements and can be used as such. This is why I say we have the stupidest people in office right now. They could have eliminated all of this shit in a heartbeat in 2018, from the Peter Strzok bullshit to the Russia hoax, to the fake news, to the pandering. It could have been done, right? But they didn't do it. And the question you should be asking yourself is why? And why didn't anyone talk about this when it's clear? Well, evidently, they are indeed oppressing the right to free speech. Remember how Yul, the soul boy, was like, well, that only applies to like federal, like government, you know, entities and the people. And it's like, bitch, you are a government entity. You have an MOU, MOA in place. Your boss is literally a government agent. Excuse me. So anyway, furthermore. Oppressing the right to free speech and their claim that they are a private company and set rules for safety would fail in the eyes of the law because they are technically intelligence community elements. And I'm willing to bet that they're getting some form of title funding from property, operations, tax credit, but also due to their government agreements. This would mean that they are in violation of a stipulation of any person or organization receiving funds. So they're actually getting paid by way of tax deductions and, you know, not paying property taxes. You should see it. You should totally see it. Here's some verified hate that they never moved, but everyone else was verified hate. Now, bottom line is, even if they only get $1, even as tax relief through any title program, their rules of safety must align with federal laws. If we analyze who and what is being suppressed online, it will indicate that safety is definitely not their goal, nor their intent. In essence, their conspiracy against rights feeds into the next criminal count, I believe would have some foundation to fly, which is that of conspiracy to commit offense or to defraud the United States. How are Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Google et al. conspiring to defraud the United States? 18 U.S. Code 371, conspiracy to commit offense or to defraud states. For the purposes of this chapter, the term scheme or artifice to def defraud includes a scheme or artifice to deprive another of an intangible right of honest services. This is a law that is usually applied to those that operate in the public interest, either as elected official or government employees. Aforementioned, the memorandum of opinion by Judge Collier has indeed laid a foundation by which in court it can be determined that big tech is deemed to be operating and acting in the capacity of public interest. In turn, having already determined that these big tech companies have former Barack Hussein Obama national security advisor in positions that, in, that dictate public policy, this law indeed may be upheld. Caroline Atkinson was a former national security advisor to Barack Hussein Obama, and now she is the director of global public policy for Google Inc. 
We also know that big tech CEOs have funded the Democratic Party heavily. It can be safely inferred that their actions of selectively suppressing free speech is for personal gain, which is an element necessary to be satisfied by this law. How can we prove that? Suppressing conservative voices is not fiscally sound. Thus, the decision they take are for purposes that are not substantiated with business acumen, but rather personal gain. In essence, they are defrauding the people of the United States by depriving them the right of honest services. And what is the honest service? Communications. These companies are governed by the FCC, thus are deemed a communication service, which in turn reinforces my notion that they're they are in some shape or form receiving federal funding by the way of grant or tax relief, which would mean that their actions indicate discrimination and that is punishable by law. In turn, they can be found to be operating as a public entity as they do satisfy the guidelines set forth by Judge Collier and may be deemed part of the intelligence community. Imagine if a public school banned all children from wearing pro-life shirts but allowed those pro-abortion. That would be considered punishable by the way of removing federal funding. The same can be applied to big tech. Remember the Christian Baker received some form of federal funding by tax relief or grant money, and that is why he was put through the court system? In the end, religious freedom conquered. But what will be the excuse of big tech? Hashtag, he's not my president. Get my, get my drift? Everyone is angry. Everyone is outraged. Accounts are being unverified and abusive accounts are being verified. Conservative voices are being silenced, demonetized, denied access to platforms and suppressed invisibility, which all leads to one thing. With elections coming up, this would be considered election meddling, right? Literally silencing political free speech of citizens? Meddling isn't really a crime, thus no one can find a remedy without claiming election, with claiming election meddling. But conspiring against the rights and defrauding the United States are crimes. It's about time we stop complaining and hold meetings with them and start filing lawsuits. After all, there are some states that have state laws against political discrimination. And political discrimination is exactly what big tech is doing. So that was my article from 2018 that, you know, never saw the light of day per se on people pretending that, well, you know, people like me don't exist. So whatever. I wrote that in 2018, August 19, 2018. I've been sounding the alarm since 2018. And yet all of your influencers, all of your reporters, all of your people in the House and the Senate, all these people you fucking funded to get up there and speak for you haven't done anything. They're having hokey discussions so that you can make video clips. Okay. Video clips. Was I sharing that document? I was right. You guys were seeing it, right? They're making hokey video clips so that you can fund their campaign so they can get reelected. <laughs> Man, I'm telling you, let's just imagine that I actually decide to run for Senate and I am mulling this idea real hard um, and I will not run unless Corey Lewandowski uh, uh, accepts to be my campaign manager. I want him to run my campaign. I want you to imagine, envision right now if that committee was in session right? If that committee was in session right now, and I was there, just even as a house member, whatever, and I was there, 
those clowns that were talking, except for Baker, because I would make sure that I would give him a cooling seat because that's how hot it would get. Okay. He would have a cooling seat. Okay. I would totally have him and Allison up there. Those are the only two people I want. And I would have Elon. Why? Because I'd be like, Elon, so like what percentage of your income uh, came from the government? Show me the paperwork. Show me in 2007 when they agreed to do all this. Show me the contracting that you had with IDC3. Show me the contracting you had with Jones International Group. Show me the contracting you had with the FBI, USGAM, Voice of America. Show me. Show it. And it would be game over. These people need to be locked up because they actually violated laws. And right now, what we're having is another pony show, right? And, you know, you would think if I wrote this article today, it would be pertinent. That's right. Because I already knew what was coming in 2018. I already knew what was coming because they have planned this out for a very long time. So this whitewash we're seeing in the house with lights going off and all these amazing speeches and a gotcha moments, right? It's like, you don't got shit. If you don't have Dell up there, right? If you don't have her on there and have someone who is, she's probably going to be coached by legal from the DIA, right? Probably the same attorney that was flanking Comey that's involved in white collar crime and stuff like that. You remember that? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If you don't have her in front of you, then, and you don't have Elvis Chan, Ann Baker, that would be the appropriate panel. These idiots, you've got Soy Boy, right? Yo, and then Gaddy, who should, you know, why did you, I, I was going to say something mean, and then I would be trolled for being, what is it, xenophobic or something, right? Which I'm totally not. So, you know, um, a lot of people, like I've said in the past, you could hate me now but you're going to fucking love me later because I have been giving you every damn tool so that you can actually take hold and fix this because obviously the people in office are milking it for money. Just like this election shit that they wanted to fix, it's a milk for money. Roger Stone's up for his next gig and how he's going to make money. Huh? Fact. Fact. So. <sighs> I'm going to end this today um, with another song and let's have President Trump serenade us with Let's Go Brandon. So on that note, don't forget to um, subscribe, like, and follow Maestro Zikos. I mean, this guy is so dope. <laughs> I watch his stuff. It's incredible. God bless everyone. Have a fantastic evening. See you tomorrow. Let's go, Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. I agree. Fuck Joe Biden. Let's go, Brandon. Fuck Joe Biden. I agree. You know what they're saying. Let's go, Brandon. Let's fuck Joe Biden. Go, Brandon. I agree. You know what they're saying. Let's go, Brandon. Fuck Joe Biden. Let's go, Brandon. You know what they're saying. Let's go, Brandon. Fuck Joe Biden. Let's go, Brandon. You know what they're saying. Max Kaiser, 10 years ago, we were covering Bilderberg together, said, look, the future is going to be this cryptocurrency, Bitcoin. And he's a very successful, famous stockbroker. He tried to give me 10,000 Bitcoins. I didn't pay attention. He got really mad at me. 
Well, he told me two years ago, get into Bitcoin, it's gonna go up several hundred percent. He was right. I finally got into Bitcoin and the safest place that I've researched to do it is swanbitcoin.com forward slash Alex. They give you 10 free dollars of Bitcoin to play around with for free when you sign up. But I'm gonna invest 10% of our treasury, of our backup money in it because the globalists wanna get rid of Bitcoin. They're coming out with their own cryptocurrencies and it's a fight between the people and the globalists. So I'm not doing it as an investment, I'm doing it as a political statement, though I hope it obviously goes up over time, which it continues to do. I can't see how it's gonna get suppressed now with Elon Musk and others involved. So go check it out, check out our page. You get 10 free dollars of Bitcoin at swanbitcoin.com forward slash Alex. We'll put it on screen, swanbitcoin dot com forward slash Alex, but regardless, I'm covering it all live right now on the radio at InfoWars.com. That was a tidbit of what's coming with the J6 documentary. Now, you guys are really going to enjoy the show. I mean, we all know my whole spiel is always, well, Legends never die when the world is calling you. Can you hear them screaming out your name? Legends never die. They become a part of you. Every time you bleed for reaching greatness, relentless, you survive. They never lose hope when everything's falling and the fighting's near. Deep in their bones, they'll ride into smoke when the fire is fierce. Oh, pick yourself up, cause legends never die. When the world is calling you.